Our Old Testament reading for this morning is taken from Isaiah in the 61st chapter, beginning at verse 8 and continuing through verse 10. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring. The Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke in the first chapter, beginning at verse 46. I'll conclude at verse 55. And I invite you again, To listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation." To generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has drawn down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good tidings and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Whether it was Mary who was speaking these words we just heard, as tradition tells us it was, or whether it might have been her cousin Elizabeth, as the original text hints at, they could just as easily have been on the lips of either of these two women. Both found themselves at the same time unexpectedly with child. Both received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Both rejoiced in what the Lord was doing in and through them. They shared many things in common aside from a blood kinship. This beautiful narrative, which has been set to music in a a wide variety of arrangements over the years, continues to speak across the generations about the nature of God as both a revised common lectionary suggested text for this week and for next week as well, other folks seemed to have thought that it was important enough to be sure that they pointed to it for us. So what can we learn 
from a story of a pair of pregnant Palestinian women who were living over 2,000 years ago and who are remembered to this day not for what they accomplished but was what was done through them. First, in good reformed fashion, it strikes me how firmly rooted is the notion throughout both the Elizabeth and the Mary stories that God is in control. God is sovereign. Though they perhaps bring it more fully to our attention, this is not a relatively modern condition, even by New Testament standards. It had existed in antiquity and had been prominent in Judaism for generations before the birth of Christ. Our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, 700 or so years before the nativity of the Lord, is testament to this. The God of Israel had, through no merits or achievements on their part, chosen a people. And that people he was going to make covenant with and he was going to specifically bless. To restate, it was not on account of who the Hebrews were or what the Hebrews did. Not even in the days of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It was purely on the part of God who was calling the shots. That dynamic hasn't changed up until the days of Elizabeth and Mary. A fact we are reminded of yet again near the close of this prayer of praise. When we hear echoes again of God's promises to his people from of old. And importantly for us today, we are witnessing that it has not changed right up to now. Such is the nature of God, in control, sovereign. What do we make of that? One takeaway I have is extreme gratitude. I am very thankful that the God we worship, the one that we have dedicated our lives to serving, is not a fickle deity. He's not one of those gods that the psalmist is railing against. Part of the wonder of our God is that it doesn't seem in keeping with his self-revelation that our God is a God who deviates from his plan. He is a God of justice. And we know that there will come a day when that justice will be made complete across the whole of creation. And that his wrath has been kindled for a long time. For we have been in disobedience for a very long time. But wrath for the sake of wrath itself is just not in his repertoire. Yes, justice and vengeance even are the Lord's. 
But though we don't always agree with or fully understand the decisions and actions of this God, there seems to be underlying it all a great wisdom, an unwavering plan that he's doing this for the benefit of his good creation. He is not about to wipe the slate clean and throw it away as a failed experiment. The events leading up to and culminating with the birth of Jesus are a wonderful example. It's just one chapter in a long narrative about the way God is in charge and the way that God is dedicating himself to methodically, if frustratingly to some, pursuing a plan to benefit this world and those he has made to dwell in it. Many of the political and religious leaders of the day, though they may have professed to wanting to see some changes, by and large, they were rather more committed to defending the status quo. This may seem familiar. Look, for example, at our present-day political leaders in Washington. The representatives and the senators there on Capitol Hill, they talk a lot about change. Changes that would make this country better. But when the rubber meets the road, well, more often than not, we get gridlock. Both sides blame the other, but the fact of the matter is, most of them on both sides of the aisle are happy that things change as little as possible. The average length of tenure for a representative is now more than nine years. For a senator, it's more than 10. Of course, the status quo benefits the incumbent. Those who run for another term in either body win in more than nine out of 10 cases. Roughly 75% of the presidents in the history of this republic have served more than one term. And then there are justices of the Supreme Court who are appointed for life to the bench. Even in the church, leaders have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. If we look back historically, with the recent exception of Pope Benedict, the leader of the Catholic Church, once elected by his fellow cardinals, serves in that capacity for life. But just because humanity has such a script, a script that often lends itself to sustaining the status quo, it doesn't mean that God is necessarily reading from that same script. In truth, quite often, these two scripts are in conflict, as we can dramatically see throughout the pages of the Bible, time and time again. We see God frustrating the plans of men, sometimes demonstrably, and sometimes quite subversively. We have a most wonderful example of that taking place in this joyful episode that we read of this morning in the Gospel according to Luke, demonstrating once more how this sovereign God is a God full of surprises. Just a few lines before this morning's reading, the angel tells Mary of Elizabeth's pregnancy with these words, and now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Amen? His contemporaries underestimated God and his son time and again throughout the years of Jesus' earthly ministry. Their greatest underestimation came upon the Savior's death. Just at the point when the powers and the principalities thought they had once and for all eliminated this threat and ensured the continuance of the status quo, just then, everything changed. But those forces who opposed the Son of God are not the only ones to be surprised by the Lord. We too often find ourselves Surprised, I confessed, I was, even this morning, surprised by the workings of the Lord. We are surprised sometimes to find out who He really is. We are surprised sometimes to realize what He really did. We are surprised sometimes to our astonishment and our wonder to see how he is still active and involved in the life of the world, in our own lives, right up to this very day. Some of you may have read C.S. Lewis's famous memoir detailing his gradual conversion from atheism to Christianity entitled Surprised by Joy. And some of you may have just as ably been equipped to have written some similar novel. Others have been in the church their whole lives, and yet, nonetheless, have been surprised when God became shockingly apparent to them in the midst of worship, perhaps, or while out for a walk, or while out in a boat, even. Yes, the God we worship and serve does indeed seem to be a God who continues to surprise us with blessings, with grace, with mercy, and with love. Not only was the world surprised to hear of the birth of a king in a cattle stall, but the world continues to be surprised that the very same king continues to come to his people in their distress, even still, as we studied this morning in our Sunday school class, Emmanuel, God with us. We who are in the church, I think, are often just as surprised as anyone else when God comes and upsets the apple cart, when he does the unlikely or even the impossible right in front of our eyes. I love the way in his letter to the Ephesian church, the Apostle Paul sums up his sense of this wonder When he writes, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. In many ways, it seems that this year of 2020 has been a year full of the unimaginable, the most unlikely, the most impossible things coming to pass. And mostly, It's not been in a good way. 
unless you are a Louisiana State football fan. But even here, even now, God is manifesting to us greater surprises still. I find myself surprised at the ways this church is not only surviving in the midst of this pandemic, but is finding new ways and expressions of being the body of Christ that we are called to be here. Watching and participating at the surprising sorts of things, both small and not so insignificant, which God has been up to recently, reinforces the gratitude that I feel following and worshiping such a God as this. Such a God as the God who would bring new life through vessels who were declared unfit, to vessels who were declared unclean. Worshiping a God who is both sovereign and surprising lends itself to a sense of wonder. At the heart of this season, this season of preparation, as we once again look forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus, we have a building sense of wonder. And this wonder is just what I imagine Elizabeth and Mary must have felt the longer they were given to come to grips with what was happening to and in them. That wonder is probably a bit like the wonder that children feel in this very season as the days until Christmas are nearly accomplished. It's the sort of same wonder that we who are adults too often fail to give ourselves permission to notice or appreciate. Maybe that's what Jesus was counting on when he told his followers that to understand, to appreciate, to follow him, it was helpful if in some respects they were to become more like children. For that's exactly what we now know ourselves to be through and in him. Children of a heavenly father who surprises us with his mercies new every morning. Who surprises us with his faithfulness, which despite our faithlessness, endures throughout the generations. A heavenly father who with his extraordinary love, which took the form of a servant and became sin that we might be free from the fruit of our transgressions. In all these ways and in so many more, our God reveals to us his sovereign, surprising nature. And what better time to recall and to be humbled than this season of waiting on one of the greatest wonders the world has ever seen. One which people throughout the world, Christians and non-Christians alike, continue to celebrate. And for that, we may truly say thanks be to God and amen. Amen.